0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton. One of the pressing issues in the medical world these days doesn't necessarily have to do with the drugs or the actual procedures. It's actually having to deal with how medical personnel deal with patients. One doctor here in the Philadelphia area calls it a compassion crisis, and that is the biggest challenge in the sector today. Part of the reason with this having a compassion crisis is because of burnout of physicians and other health workers. The problem then manifests itself within patients as feeling like that maybe they are not getting the care that they should. Dr. Stephen Terziak has made this passion of health care sector a very important component of what he does on a day-to-day basis. He is a critical care doctor at Cooper University Healthcare in the state of New Jersey, and he joins us in our studios right now. Steve, nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dan.
0: Uh, and I guess we should say that this is part of what you will deliver coming up will be part of a TEDx pen uh seminar here at the university of Pennsylvania coming up in a few days. Uh, but the story of compassion and your thoughts about how important they are,
1: how did that actually first start? Sure. Uh I'm a professor of medicine, and one of the things that I do in my job is that I teach students and resident physicians in training. And I thought that this might be an optimal part of my teaching portfolio. So I started to develop an interest from that aspect and then realized that it is a wide-open area and bona fide science of the effects that compassion can have on patients, patient care, and those who care for patients.
0: And from what I read, I guess part of this started with your son, Uh, in a project that that he was working on, and you were working with him, and this idea of of really investigating different elements came out of that
1: as well, correct? Yeah, so he came into my study one night. He was in the seventh grade, and he said, Dad, can you help me prepare a talk? I know that you do that a lot. Can you help me prepare mine? So I thought it was a great mentoring opportunity, father-son bonding. Little did I know what was in store. So he puts the assignment down on my desk, and it says, What is the most pressing problem of our time? And I don't know what you were doing in seventh grade, but that's that's <laughs> right. not what I was doing in seventh grade. I was
0: not thinking about that, yes.
1: So I was totally blown away, and I, and I helped him try to figure out what was the most pressing problem of of our time from his lens of experience as a 12-year-old. And then I realized I'm not really taking my own advice right? because what I was working on was very meaningful. I, I'm am I'm an intensivist, so I practice in the ICU. I do clinical research. I'm a physician scientist, and what I was working on was super meaningful. Right. But if I'm being honest, it wasn't the most pressing problem of our time. So then I had to think about it. You know, what is? So I thought about it and thought about it. It was literally all I could think about it. And then I found it. And uh, there is a compassion crisis in healthcare. There are a lot of data on that. I can tell you all about it if you want to. Uh, But the big question is, does it matter? And and so the question is, does compassion really matter? And uh, what I found through the approach of systematic review of the biomedical literature, National Library of Medicine, 1,000 scientific abstracts, 200 research papers. What I concluded from that experience is that compassion matters for patients, for patient care, including healthcare costs and those who care for patients.
0: I think a lot of people, when they think about the term of compassion and they think about it within healthcare, uh, the expectation is that it was always there, but maybe it has changed because of various elements that are, are kind of interacting with the with the healthcare field. I mean, if, sure. you, if you go back, you know, 30, 40 years of, you know, the days of Marcus Welby, M.D., mm-hmm. everybody would think, oh, well, sure. you know, doctors made house calls, and that's an Absolutely. element of compassion. But we don't have that necessarily as much these days.
1: Absolutely. So there's a lot of rigorous data that shows that things are changing, and there are, there are data that show it's changing, um, it's worsening. In the sense that uh, our efficiency has to change in healthcare, we're uh, sometimes under pressure to spend less time with patients. And in the area of electronic medical records, there's rigorous data to show that uh, healthcare providers spend more time looking into their computer screens than looking patients in the eyes. Right, and 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 that's where I think it comes from.
0: So how much? Well, I guess what area specifically do you think this this crisis is having an impact? Because you br- bring up actually a term, compassionomics, hmm. which obviously leads me to believe that there is there is an economic element to this crisis, the the cost that it is in being incurred upon the medical facility, the uh, the doctors themselves. The, the, that there is an economic element to this that can be changed which obviously we're trying to improve the relationship between doctor and patient, but you're also coming at a time where the economic side of the medical field is looked at, scrutinized
1: more closely than ever before. Absolutely. So in primary care, for example... Uh, There's data uh, that shows that uh, compassionate patient-centered care is associated with lower unnecessary resource use. So less diagnostic testing that's not needed, less referrals to specialists, uh, less hospitalizations that are unnecessary, and lower lower total health care charges. And so the bottom line is that if healthcare providers actually spend more time connecting with patients and talking with them, maybe we don't need all these tests and referrals. But that's just one part of it. Probably the larger part of it is in the healthcare providers themselves, because one of the biggest, and um, as of yet more difficult to measure effects on healthcare system is burnout and um, lower. Um, longevity, career longevity Amongst healthcare providers And it's estimated in a recent uh, paper In JAMA Internal Medicine That it's 500000 to $1 million Every time a physician switches jobs Meaning mm. in order to wind down One physician's practice And, and then start ram- the new one ramp one, you know? up a new one Yeah it's about $500,000 to $1 million, and um, burnout is now – there is a ton of evidence to show that about 50 percent of physicians it, – it's actually all healthcare providers, but physicians have been studied the most – 50 percent have uh, one or more major symptoms of burnout and uh that is one of the major contributors to um why uh physicians don't last as long
0: so then how do you think we start to address this and and obviously it it's one thing to address it with the doctors themselves uh but it also has me wondering about whether or not the teaching element of when doctors are coming through school and they're starting to do their residencies and and such how much of an impact that can be uh, can be changed if we can focus differently on it?
1: It's definitely um, been um, well identified that there is a loss of compassion in the training phase of uh, medical education. Why do you think so, specifically in that area? um, I think this is just my opinion now. Um, My opinion is that um, uh, prior to um, the resilience um, process, mechanisms or behaviors before they're built up within the providers, they're exposed to extreme stress. And it almost like beats the compassion right out of them. Um, So uh the historical teaching uh is or has been don't get too close to patients because that'll predispose you to burnout. Right. But I've done the systematic review and I've looked. And while there are some data to support that to some extent I have concluded that the preponderance of data actually suggests the opposite, that those healthcare providers that are able to maintain compassion for patients and really connect with patients, that builds resilience within them and builds resistance to things like burnout.
0: And, and then the doctors themselves or the nurses, whoever it might be, not only do they build up that resistance, but I, I would think that they it is, it is more easy for them to – to deal with the variety of situations as they come along, whether it be, you know, somebody dealing with cancer
1: or, what you know, whatever the situation may be, correct? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I went through it myself. So as an intensive care unit, physician, you know, I meet people on the worst day of their life. Sure. Literally. Right. So after almost 20 years of doing that, I realized that I had every symptom of burnout. So I was aware of the fact that of the data, um, keenly aware of the data that compassion for patients can actually be protective. Um, And so I decided to do an experiment experiment on myself uh, because Historically, the thinking is what I call escapism. So, the way to get out of burnout is to get away, detach, sure. pull yeah. back, you yeah. know, go on a nature hike and do yoga and all that. And that Long that's, vacation. Yeah yeah right, yeah, yeah, right. That, yeah, right. That's those things are important. There's no doubt about it. But I wasn't buying it. Right. I wasn't buying it because I thought that the antidote for compassion or the antidote to burnout had to be at the point of care, not in escaping. So I was aware of the data and, you know, I'm a, I'm a physician scientist, which is, in other words, I'm a research nerd, right? So I decided to do this experiment. So I decided to lean in more rather than pull back and try to connect more rather than detaching. Right. And that was when everything changed for me and I felt those burnout symptoms begin to lift. And um, I figure if – if that can happen for me, it can happen for others. Too.
0: So how do you think then the the potential of burnout and, and the lack of connection at times between doctor and patient is affecting the patient in terms of? Maybe not going to see a doctor if there is a problem because they've had an experience where they may feel like, "Oh well, I know what's going to happen. Why am I going to go anyway?"
1: So, research from Harvard shows that fifty percent of patients believe that the healthcare, the U.S. healthcare system, and our providers are not compassionate. So, that, that's the readout to tell you that there's a compassion crisis. And I could go on with that data um, uh, at length, but I won't. So, there are twenty in our work in our group. Um, uh, we've found 20 distinct mechanisms by which compassion for patients can have beneficial effects on patients. Mm-hmm. So some of them are just very practical. If you have compassion for patients as a healthcare provider, you may be more tic- more meticulous about somebody's care, sure. have yeah. higher, higher quality standards and less prone to making medical errors. And right. there's data for that. But there are also physiological effects. Showing compassion to another person actually modulates any stress-mediated disease. It can modulate a patient's perception of pain. There are a number of other physiological changes like uh, neuroendocrine changes. There are um, uh, immune system effects. Um, so, for example, in a University of Wisconsin study in patients with the common cold, Um, having a physician with the highest compassion scores as rated by patients was associated with uh, acceleration of uh, biomarkers of enhanced immune response and and shorter symptom duration and lower severity of symptoms. Mm -hmm. There are also, and this is to me perhaps the most powerful um, and an area of research interest for me and dovetails with the economic impact, is that there are a number of studies which show if you have compassion for patients, you care about them deeply and they know that yeah. they actually take their medicine huh. as opposed to not taking their medicine. So in the medical term is non-adherence to right. medicine yeah. and you just don't take it. Which is a big problem right well, now in it's, this country. It's been estimated. Um, there have been a number of estimates of the economic toll of of, um, avoidable downstream healthcare costs, meaning the disease is not in control. So you develop all these complications, need hospitalizations and everything that flows from that. So it's been estimated uh, and there's been a wide range, but it's the lowest, um, number that I've seen is a hundred billion per year. So, um, that's real money. Right. And, um, And they're avoidable. And as an intensive care doctor, I can tell you that much of what I am dealing with on a daily basis are just things that were never prevented in the first place.
0: Which then it, it kind of goes back to the point you were talking about before in the fact that in the research that you've done, compassion as an element of the medical field, the medical industry does really matter. It has a variety of impacts on a variety of different levels, whether it be economic, personal, professional, whatever it might be. And if you can incorporate more compassion in the healthcare system, then it can have, you know, it's almost like a spider web. So many different impacts in so many different areas.
1: Yeah, compassion matters. Uh, that's my conclusion after this, uh, two year journey through the data. And that's why I call it compassionomics. Um, similar to, we have genomics, proteomics and medicine. I call it compassionomics. I'm not asking you to buy into that line of yeah. thinking, but that's what I call it because there it's a, it's a bonafide science and, um, it's in, it's the scientific evidence that caring makes a difference. And I, and now that I see it, there's no turning back for me. This is what I want to work on.
0: So you will be speaking at the TEDx Penn event. Mm-hmm. With all of this kind of as a background, what is it that when, when you speak at, at, at Penn here in a few days, what is it that you really want to bring forth this idea involving compassion? Because not everybody in, in the crowd will be of the medical field. So I wonder if this has the opportunity to be expansive beyond the medical field into other sectors as well.
1: Sure. I, there are, are a few key things I want to communicate uh, at Pen this Saturday. So number one is that <clears throat> compassion is not just part of the art of medicine. We, it's always been part of the art of medicine. And there's no one that doesn't think that there's an ought there. We ought to be compassionate to patients. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't find anybody who doesn't think that. Right. But it, are there also evidence-based effects belonging in the science of medicine? And what I have found is... Yes, there are, and that, that I want to communicate that, and I recognize that um, not everybody, or actually the vast majority of the people in the audience, won't be healthcare providers. But there's a message for everybody there, in the sense that the data on compassion for others and their effects on healthcare providers can can apply to any of us. So I told you about the experiment I did on myself, right? So there's one study subject in that experiment. So it was my n of one, and. Um, it changed everything for me, um, and that's when burnout began to lift. But you don't have to be a healthcare provider to feel burned out, right? Yeah, right. Um, so uh, there are people all, uh, all, all walking up and down the sidewalk right in front of our studio that are feeling burned out, and um, people know what that means. And um, what I would suggest is that if you're feeling that way, open your eyes to the people around you, give them your 40 seconds of compassion uh, because science shows that that's all it takes and see how it transforms your experience. The scientific evidence shows that compassion for others can activate neural networks, uh, neural pathways in the brain uh-huh. that are associated with positive emotion and attenuation of stress. So literally, um, and just said a different way is it can make you forget your own worries, at least temporarily. So my advice to people, if they're feeling burned out, is to try that experiment for themselves and see how it transforms your experience. But don't do it because I say so, do it because science says so, and there's rigorous science behind that.
0: You mentioned the 40 seconds. Is, is the 40 seconds that amount where people perceive that connection to actually occur. I mean, if you're if you stop and you you talk to somebody for 10 seconds, a lot of people may assume, OK, well, you know, it, 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 that person really wasn't into it. But if you get to that, whatever that plateau is, that people feel like that connection is there and there's there's a level of understanding.
1: The two most um, striking numbers I've found in my systematic review are the number 56 and the number 40. Okay. So 56 is the percentage of patients. This is a Harvard uh, study published a few years back in the Journal, General Journal of General Internal Journal Medicine, 56 percent of patients or I'm sorry, 56% of physicians said that they don't have time to be compassionate. And that's pretty, huh. that's pretty heavy, right? So And a
0: little worrisome, I think, yeah, at times so, too,
1: yeah. So how long does it actually take? And that, now this is in the context of like classical studies, like studies from the 70s from Princeton, which showed that people, um, helpers, uh, it's not their intrinsic belief about the the value or importance of helping that determines whether or not they actually offer help. Right. It's whether or not they actually think they have enough time. So how long does it actually take? And so there was a study actually from uh, more than 15 years ago now, a Johns Hopkins study, which did a randomized controlled trial of a compassion intervention in cancer patients. And the primary outcome measure was a ex- validated scale of anxiety. And if you're a cancer patient, that's a pretty important outcome. measure. Sure. Yeah. Right. So they did the intervention, and they found that it definitely attenuated people's anxiety. It lowered people's anxiety. So what was the intervention? Right. And it was, uh, this is in a visits with an oncologist. And it was literally just a message of compassion. We're going to be here with you. We're going to go through this together. I'll be with you every step of the way. And this is a randomized control trial, right? So it had a significant association with lowering patients' anxiety. And when they timed it, they found it was 40 seconds. Hmm. So to me, that's pretty rigorous evidence that 40 seconds is all it takes. And when you're a healthcare provider and you tell me you don't have enough um, time to be compassionate. Yeah. Well, you probably have 40 seconds. I was going to so say that's that's, that's
0: that's that's a small amount of time to give to, right. to to try and connect with somebody.
1: But also healthcare providers ought to do it. Not only I mean, the. Obviously, we have a duty to take care of our patients, but you Mm -hmm. also have a duty to take care of yourself so that you can take care of the next patient, the patient after that, and patients years from now. So the data shows that those 40 seconds can actually be good for you, too, and build your resilience. Let me ask
0: you this. How do you think, then, this concern about compassion can develop in the years to come? And, And I say that because we are well-known in a time where the medical field is transitioning right now. We have more of a digital component being used in medicine right now than ever before and the expectation that it will continue to grow. And that is changing, to a degree, the jobs on some levels to what doctors and nurses are doing, not with the, the actual contact with the patient, but what they have to do in terms of a lot of their you know extra work. How do you think? Sure. How do you think then that ability, maybe potentially saving doctors and nurses' work, could potentially open the door to greater compassion for those people
1: in terms of working with the patients that they see? Sure. So I, I, there are two two thoughts I have on this. One is that we have to leverage technology in better ways. So leverage technology to eliminate all the non-provider work from their slate. Right. So that we can let doctors be doctors, let nurses be nurses, let our healthcare providers actually care for people rather than doing busy work on a computer screen. So that's vital, but that's not going to be solved today or next year. That's going to evolve over time. But that's right. that that's a that's a that's an emergency, right? That's a red flashing light for me, and it's something that I'm involved in in trying to solve uh, at Cooper uh, for the physicians that are in my group. The other thing is I think we need to recognize that change is possible. A lot of people talk about growth mindset these days. Um, what, one thing that was striking from the data that I went through was the, the evidence that change is possible. So you might be thinking, we're, we're here in a studio. We're talking about compassionate medicine. I must be the most compassionate doctor. But, <laughs> but the reality the reality is that I am definitely a work in progress. Yeah, And um, fortunately now I see it and the scientific evidence shows that I used to think that people were either wired for compassion or they're not. Right. right? Like it's this intrinsic thing. It's It's like
0: like, a trait that you're born with or not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I thought that until I went through the data. And then I realized that there is very compelling data that compassionate behaviors can in fact be learned. And that's not just true for healthcare providers as true in in, uh, data across general populations as well. That was new to me. I didn't know that. And so now my eyes are open to it and I'm working on it every day. And that's really what's transformed my experience. But but science shows it change is possible. So how, I, yeah. how do you see that changing the
0: doctors that you're working with, your students, when you're at Cooper, how do you see that mindset that you have and obviously bringing that forth to them as an important component of their learning and, and their work as doctors and nurses, how have you seen that change them specifically?
1: Well, we're uh, admittedly in the infancy of this. So uh, I do critical care research, and that's what I spent the first 15 years of, of my career focused on. Yeah. And now this is sort of a departure for me, to be honest. Um, but um, clearly it's getting some sort of traction and interest because the folks at TEDxPenn invited me to their conference this Saturday. So I think it's an important message. Um, uh, and um, – this is something that uh, in our group at, at Cooper, we're going to be trying to um, focus on and um, give everybody a sense that this is something that we value. Um, so we're at the beginning of this, but it's something that um, I'm 100 percent all in and committed to.
0: Where do you think we are then in terms of the medical field in general? And obviously, you know, you're dealing with it in your Specific world uh, of Cooper University Healthcare, but where do you think we are in terms of in general healthcare? Understanding the component of compassion as a key ingredient
1: to the whole process of healthcare. So the current data are a bit of a stark reality. Uh, I told you that the data uh, that fifty percent of people don't think that uh, healthcare is compassionate. Two thirds of in, in rigorous survey data, two thirds of people have had a meaningful healthcare experience with an absence of compassion, Mm -hmm. the data aren't good right now. And I don't have all the answers of how to fix it, but I want to get, I want to be the messenger right now on the fact that there is bona fide science here. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, And so now it just colors everything that I do in my daily work. And um, I just want to try to draw attention to it and then um, hopefully get some momentum momentum to find solutions. Great meeting you. Thank you for coming in. You. And
0: all the best uh, coming up this weekend at TEDxPen. Thanks very much. Nice, nice I meeting appreciate you. it. Dr. Stephen Terziak from uh, the uh, Cooper University Healthcare System in uh, New Jersey, in Camden, New Jersey.
1: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please
0: visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.